Would you please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we will spend most of our time today. And our Father, we we ask that you will will now speak to us by your Spirit, uh, through your Word. Lord, I pray that we would see today that Christ is our treasure. Amen. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus uh, tells a parable about a man who uh, stumbled upon something, a man who discovered something. He was in a field one day. Uh, Maybe he was kind of like Terry Rattan. Maybe he was mowing the field. I don't know. Uh, Maybe he was just walking through the field. We don't know what happened, but Jesus tells us that he found a treasure that was hidden in the field. And he hid the treasure again, and then he went off and with joy sold everything that he had so that he could buy that field. This man discovered something that changed the course of his entire life. He, he woke up one day doing one thing, walking in one direction, living according to a certain plan in his life, and then all of a sudden he stumbles across this treasure. Something that existed, that he did not know existed before, and all of his plans, the direction of his entire life, everything that he was living for meant nothing in comparison to that treasure. And so he sells everything to acquire that treasure. So if we, if we take a bit of time to meditate on this parable, we realize that what this man did only made sense from the perspective of what he knew. The first thing he did was he hid the treasure again. He didn't want anyone else to know about this treasure. He wanted to make sure that uh, there wasn't a bidding war for this field. He hid the treasure again, and then he went off, and he sold everything that he could in order to buy this treasure. Can you imagine what his family and friends must have thought of him? Carl has gone off of his rocker. I don't know why his name is Carl. I just uh, came up with that. <laughs> what is wrong with him? Should, should we have an intervention? What's going, what's going on with him? What should we do? We've never seen Carl act quite like this. What is going on with him? From everyone's perspective, what he is doing is foolishness, unwise. It made no sense to them. But he was aware of a reality that they weren't aware of. They don't know about this huge treasure that is buried in this field that makes his present possessions seem worthless and meaningless to him. And so his actions seem crazy to them. But his actions make perfect sense to him, don't they? In fact, because of what he discovered hidden in that field, his actions are the only reasonable thing to do. Everything that he worked for before, everything that he had acquired... He takes everything and he sells it. And how does Jesus describe this man's emotions while he is selling everything? Does he have a heavy heart? Is he sad about giving these things up? Does he have any regrets? No. Jesus says, with joy, he went and sold everything to acquire that field. 
the man who found that treasure in that field was living his life according to a new reality. After he, after he discovered the treasure, that was the only thing that he wanted to do, was acquire that treasure. In the next section of Ephesians, Paul tells us that we need to be like the man who found the treasure hidden in the field. In Christ, we have discovered the treasure. Amen? In Christ, we have discovered the treasure. In the first half of Ephesians, Paul has told us everything that we find in Christ, that we are people who have been chosen before the foundation of the world to be holy, to be set apart for Christ. Friends, it seems as if before God spoke the world into existence that he had you in mind and set you apart and made you holy in Christ. We're told that we've been forgiven of all of our sins through the blood of Jesus. We're told that we have been adopted as children of God. The creator of the universe calls you son and daughter. In Christ, we have discovered the treasure. And because we know this, because this is our new reality, we cannot go on living like we did before. We cannot go on living like people who have not discovered a treasure. And so Paul says it in this way in Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 17. He says, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding. They do not know the treasure that is Christ. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness." There is something better. Or maybe it's better said, there is someone who is better to live for. And as followers of Jesus, we live according to a different reality. We have discovered the treasure, and so our whole life becomes oriented around the reality of seeking Jesus. Jesus puts it this way, seek first the kingdom of God. When you seek first the kingdom of God, the decisions that you make in your life about your job or about where you will live or about what kind of car you will drive or about how you use your money or about how you, you will use your time and your energy and your resources and your talents, all of those decisions change in light of pursuing Christ, in light of the treasure. And in these next two chapters, Paul then gives basic instructions about how to live this Christian life that is oriented around seeking first the kingdom of God. And Paul's main point in these verses is this. You know who Jesus is. You know what he has done for you and the spiritual blessings that he has given to you. And so now live according to that reality, according to that eternal heavenly reality. 
And so in the next two chapters, yeah, uh, three chapters, Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, Paul gives some basic instructions about what Christian living looks like. And I'm just going to read a few of the verses. He says this in verse 25. He says, Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sin go down while you are the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. Do something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those who are in need. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up. Don't lie. When you're angry, do not sin. Handle it well with other people. Um, Do not steal. And don't let any unwholesome words come out of your mouth. There was a book that came out a few years ago called Everything I Know I Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. (laughs) These are basic instructions, right? Don't lie. When you're angry with others, handle it in the appropriate way. Don't steal from other people. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. But even though these are basic instructions, we often find it difficult to follow them, don't we? In chapter 5, the instructions do get a bit more complex. In verse 3, he says this, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity or foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. He goes on to say, For of this you can be sure. No immoral or impure or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. These are basic instructions, but Paul isn't kidding around. We have discovered a new reality in Christ. Our life must reflect what we know to be true. But we're always so tempted to dabble in these other things, aren't we? C.S. Lewis says it perfectly. He says this. He says, It seems that our Lord finds our desires, the desires in our heart, not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. We're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We are far too easily pleased. There is the treasure of a relationship with Christ, our Creator, our Savior, the one who gave up all things so that you can live, and we value worthless things rather than this treasure. So in the next section, verse 14, Paul says, Wake up. Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. 
Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy sold everything that he had and bought that field. Paul's call to wake up and Jesus' parable about the treasure hidden in the field is a call to repentance. And repentance is what this sermon is all about this morning. True repentance. The word repentance simply means to turn around. To go the other way. And the Christian life is a life of repentance. It begins with an act of repentance. We discover Christ by hearing the gospel, the, the good news that Jesus Christ died for our sins, rose from the dead that we may live a new life, and we turn away from our own life, our own plans, our own ways of trying to save ourselves and to discover the good life, and we turn to his way, and we receive him and his life. The Christian life begins with repentance. But it doesn't end there, does it? Christian life is about daily acts of repentance. About turning away from the many things that Paul told us about earlier, lying and cheating and stealing and holding on to anger and sexual immorality and to greed. There are daily acts of repentance, and these are challenging, aren't they? They are difficult to daily turn away from these things and to turn to Christ. But this is an important part of our repentance, realizing that there are things in our life that we must daily turn away from. But there's another aspect of repentance that I think we too often miss. We too often make the object of our repentance our sin. When we think about the word repentance, we think about sin, right? We meditate on the sin. Our mind is what we are turning away from. But friends, we have to think about repentance in a different way. Instead of only considering what we are turning away from, what if we considered even more who we are turning toward? When you turn around, when you turn away from something, you are turning toward something else, something far better. That's the message of the parable of the treasure, isn't it? The man repented. He turned away from everything that his life was about before, and he turned around to gain something better, to gain the treasure. And did he do it with regret? No. Did he have to grit his teeth and kind of summon up his will to go and do this? No. It's the only thing he wanted to do. He did it with joy. And friends, I think that so often our repentance is this kind of gritting our teeth and willing ourselves to turn away. That kind of repentance will never last. You will continue to go back to that sin over and over and over and over again. 
What we must see is the eternal and infinite worth of the one that we are turning toward. That is the only kind of repentance that will last. If we focus only on turning away from sin, we think, you know, I, I would really rather do this thing, but Pastor Ryan said that I shouldn't, so I guess I'll just kind of grit my teeth and turn away. It won't last. If we're going to truly repent, we must be focused on the treasure that is Jesus, who we are turning toward. The Greek word for repentance is metanoia. It's kind of a nice word. Can you say that? Metanoia. In metanoia, true repentance, it turns without regret. Metanoia sees the better thing, and it turns toward the better thing. The object of metanoia is not sin. It is the treasure. The object of metanoia, of true repentance, is Christ and turning to him. Friends, in Christ you are offered eternal life, eternal joy, eternal happiness, eternal satisfaction. In Christ you are accepted wholly and completely because of Christ. You are loved by the creator of the universe, by the one who made you with his own hands. So Paul says, wake up, metanoia, the light of Christ has shined on you. Stop your sleeping, wake up and turn to me. After this call to repent, then Paul goes on to talk about what this repentance looks like. Verse 15, he says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Wisdom is more than knowledge. You know that, right? Wisdom is the combination of knowing what is right and putting it into practice. In our parable today, the man who found treasure in the field gained new knowledge about reality, gained new knowledge about the existence of this treasure hidden in the field, and so he did what was wise by applying right action to the knowledge that he had. Jesus says that a wise man is someone who hears his words and what? Puts them into practice. So many of us hear the words of Jesus over and over and over again. We hear about this new reality. We hear about the kingdom of God, about a heavenly treasure that is far more valuable than anything that we can imagine, and we remain fools. We continue to hear his words and then not put them into practice like the man who builds his house on the sand. We have heard about the great treasure. We have maybe even tasted a little bit of what the great treasure is like, but we don't put his words into practice. So Paul says, be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. In verse 16, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Literally, this verse, the NIV translates it, make the most of every opportunity. It's literally, redeem the time. Redeem the time. Make the most of every opportunity. The man who found the treasure hidden in the field redeemed the time. He made the most of this opportunity, this new knowledge, this new reality that he stumbled into. Friends, our time is short. Redeem the time. Make the most of every one of your opportunities. 
Jonathan Edwards, he was a pastor in the 18th century, great preacher and theologian. When he was uh, about 20 years old, he wrote about 70 resolutions, 70 resolutions that he wanted to make a part of his life, that he wanted to commit his whole heart to. And many of these 70 resolutions had to do with the way he spent his time. Uh, Resolution number five was this. (laughs) It's so funny to read these. He's such a serious person. Resolution number five, resolved. Never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it in the most profitable way I can. Number six, resolved to live with all my might while I do live. Number seven, resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Redeem the time. Redemption means to buy back. To redeem the time is an active thing. If we are not intentional about the way that we use our time, then our time will be used for all sorts of evil or meaningless things. One of the very next things that Paul instructs us here, his mind goes to, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. I've talked with lots of people in my time as a pastor who are alcoholics at one time or another in their life, and so often I hear from them these words, I regret the time that was stripped from me. I regret the time that I lost with my family. The years and moments of their life they feel were wasted, and they can't get it back. Friends, we all know that feeling, don't we? (laughs) The feeling of not being able to get our time back. Our time is precious. We are called to redeem it, to be active in using it for good. The man who found the treasure hidden in the field redeemed the time that he had. He made the most of his opportunity. He went off quickly and in his joy sold everything that he had so that he could buy that field. The man acted out of wisdom. He took the wisest course of action, no matter how foolish it may have seemed to everyone around him. Friends, this morning, the book of Ephesians calls us to repent, to take off the old self, to put on the new, to wake up from our sleeping, to be wise rather than foolish. We are called to metanoia, to true repentance, turning away from that in our life that is sin, but to turn to that which is eternal, that is Christ. So this morning, if you have never made that first step of repentance and following Jesus, I want to invite you to do that today. He died for you. He loves you. He has invited you into an eternal relationship with him. He's called you to follow him and to receive life. This morning, I invite you to turn around, to turn away from all of the ways that you've tried to make it, have tried to save yourself, and to find in him eternal joy and peace and happiness. In him is real life. There are many of you in here who have been following Jesus for a long time, took that step, first step of repentance long ago, And today, you need to turn away, yes, from sin, but even more, God is calling you today to turn to your first love. Remember when he first called you. 
in the passion that was in your heart for him. How the thought of disappointing him hurt your heart. This morning, I want to invite any of you, if you want to seek today true repentance, true metanoia, to feel free to come forward as we sing a couple of songs to close. This morning, if you want to take that first step, please come forward. If you want to pray with someone about any of these things, feel free to come to this side of the altar. If you want to pray on your own, uh, please come to this side of the altar. And let me pray for us. Father in heaven, I thank you that you have called us to repentance. Because you know what leads us to the greatest joy. Because you know what gives us the greatest peace, and that is life in you. So Lord, I pray that each of us today, wherever we are, would turn around. That we would turn and see and discover you our great treasure. Amen.